I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Sakshashila Institution. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of All Things Policy. My name is Suman, and in today's episode, I have with me my colleague Sarthak. You would have heard about him in previous episodes. Hello, Sarthak. Welcome to the show. Hi, Suman. Thanks for having me in one more episode of All Things Policy. Thank you for being here. Okay, this episode is also special because we have two of our students here, alumni from our previous cohort of the GCPP, Rakesh and Saurabh. Uh, Rakesh, could you please introduce yourself? Thanks, Suman. Thanks for having us here at All Things Policy podcast. Uh, really glad to be here. Uh, I'm a student of GCPP May Batch. I'm currently working as a public policy consultant in one of the big fours for the last four years. have a total work experience of about seven years in consulting technology and public policy. Prior to that, I've done my MBA from Indian Institute of Management, Kodikor. And prior to that, I've done my engineering in electronics and communication from uh, Cochin University of Science and Technology, Cochin. Really glad to be here. Thank you. Great, Rakesh. Welcome to the show. Saurabh? Uh, hi, Suman. Hi, Sarthak and Rakesh. Uh, thank you, first of all, for uh, inviting us here on All Things Policy. Really glad to be here. I also primarily have background in public policy. Uh, I've worked as a public policy consultant for about four years in one of the big fours. Prior to that, I did my MBA um, from MDI Gurgaon and before that, my engineering from Bits Pilani. Um, currently, I'm working as a manager in startup and uh, this particular topic of MSPs is something very uh, something that is uh, I have been very familiar with for the past few years because some of my policy work or consulting work actually went into this area or the sector of agriculture and horticulture. So really glad to be talking about it over here. Thank you. Great, great Saurabh, great Rakesh. Thank you. Thank you for being here and welcome. So let's get started right away. Yeah, the um, reason we have Rakesh and Saurabh here is because uh, they've authored this wonderful blog piece which, are, which is titled MSPs and the Market Failures. To give context, uh, I'm sure all our listeners, um, you've been following the farm protests in the, way, in the wake of the new farm laws that have been uh, proposed. The crux of the issue of the entire farm and agricultural uh, income is about the farmer's income. All of us know data about uh, farm income. 50 to 60% of the population is engaged in agriculture, but they only contribute 15 to 20% of the GDP. Recently, I read that uh, the average daily income of a farmer is about 27 rupees per day. Theoretically speaking, this is even less than uh, what they would be earning if they did, you know, part of Mahatma Gandhi National Rural Employment Guarantee Scheme. So the farming sector is really in dire straits. And we are not going to go into the entire farm laws or anything. We have already done one episode on that. We'll link it here. The important aspect of the entire agricultural puzzle here is the contentious issue of the MSP. The government has also declared recently its commitment to MSP by announcing MSP for the rabi, uh, rabi season crops. Okay, so first we need to go into, we'll take a step back to learn about 
what TMSP is and why it came into being. Uh, could you please talk about what and what it is and why it came into being? Oh, sure, sure Suman, I'll do that. So the roots of MSPs go back uh, to uh, early 1960s, and this is where this is the period when country was facing huge food scarcity. Uh, and I, I don't know. I mean, my father's generation, uh, they used to tell that they, they were ships flying in from US, PL 480 ships. They used to send a lot of food grains, and and that was the time when when uh, agriculture in India had really hit its rock bottom. And that is that is when this MSP was introduced, and 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 it's very interesting that MSP in its early days was introduced uh, uh, to basically incentivize farmers in in the states of you know Punjab, Haryana, and Western Uttar Pradesh to grow these high yielding varieties. I mean, these high yielding varieties had just come up uh, uh, whole of Europe and you know Northern America had started using it. But in, in, in India and in, in India and within Indian farmer, there was a huge aversion to it. So, I mean, the great Indian agriculture scientists like M.S. Swaminathan and all, they went and they basically, you know, uh, assuaged farmers that, you know, if you, you grow this, probably the food production is going to increase and probably we'll be able to you know, tackle our food scarcity challenges. So within that context, since the farmers were reluctant to use uh, those high yielding varieties, uh, uh, a sort of a floor price floor in terms of MSP was introduced so that even if the farmers you know if they if the crops are failing uh, they will have some sort of income protection so this is the kind of a background in which uh, uh, MSP was introduced uh, basically to provide protection to the risk taking farmers but uh, it is being it is being played in today's time completely differently yeah so we all realized that the intent of the policy was great but it led to certain other consequences that has really plagued us since then. So Rakesh, since you were mentioning about um, how it was a price floor, I just want to add a couple of things here. Now, uh, so when MSP was introduced, it was kind of a guarantee that, okay, if uh, there is a bumper harvest, the prices crash, then also you are safeguarded. I mean, the government will pay you certain prices. Uh, But it is not exactly a price floor. Generally, price floors are something slightly different uh, if you look at it from the economics perspective right uh, so price floor is basically a price which has been decided by the government and uh, any transaction uh, for a particular good or service uh, if it is going to happen it has to happen above the price floor so government decides the price and if buying selling is happening it has to happen at that price or above that price that's a price floor uh, uh, right. So technically, it was not a price flow, but basically it's called as minimum support prices MSP that we know. Yeah. Uh, so in in that particular time, government used to notify two different sets of prices. One used to be your minimum support prices, which is MSP, and another used to be your procurement prices. So government used to procure at procurement prices. In case the crops used to fail, the government used to provide the minimum support prices. So that is how it used to uh, basically work. Yeah, true. But one thing is one thing here uh, for certain crops in India and certain places, there do exist price flows, by the way. For example, uh, when it comes to sugarcane in Haryana and Uttar Pradesh, they call it something as uh, fair and remunerative prices. Those are price flows. Uh, But whatever be the case, since government procures a lot of uh, agricultural commodities in India, it's a huge, it procures at at bulk, uh, it tends to intervene. in, into the markets, it tends to disrupt the markets. Sure, correct. Um, Saurabh, you have something to add? 
Right. So I just wanted to add that uh, with regard to the MSPs of the minimum support prices, uh, over time, while the policy itself wasn't amended, uh, the government continued to procure at higher and higher prices and in the belts and the regions where in Punjab, Haryana and Uttar Pradesh, where wheat was grown quite extensively, uh, you saw this policy kind of becoming a sort of a guarantee to to or an incentive to continue to grow these crops extensively. And I think this is where uh, largely the problem lies that India transitioned from a, a food scarce to a food surplus con- uh, country, but the policy that was meant to kind of append or change that didn't change with the times itself. So I think a large part of the problem actually comes from there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, exactly. So the focus of all public policy is to remove all kinds of failures, societal failures, market failures, or government failures. The intent of the MSP was to ensure a certain minimum price to protect farmers, etc. But that has led to a whole set of new market failures. So in your blog, you have spoken about uh, three of them mostly uh, concentration of power, negative externalities, transaction costs, along with information asymmetry. So let's take this one by one. Could you elaborate on the concentration of market power in this? Yeah, so sure. So I'll I'll take this up. So I mean, the current market architecture of agri, if you'll see in India, it currently operates through, and in, especially in the states, it operates through something called APMCs. And uh, AP, within APMCs are basically agriculture produce market committees. Uh, and they operate through two different sorts of markets. One is called principal market. Another is called sub-market yards. So how, how does it work that uh, uh, if you're a farmer, you have a produce and you want to sell it, at, sell it at MSP, you have to bring that produce to APMC. These APMCs have a certain geographical boundaries within which they operate. Uh, uh, I think in India, about you, you have about 2.5, 2,500 APMCs as of now, across 11 or 12 different states. I mean, uh, agri being a state subject, so states primarily yeah. regulate and legislate on that. And these M- these MSPs on these producers are notified by a central government. Uh, so, so what you are basically doing, and what this recent Farm Act, which tried to abolish these APMC was trying to do is that they were trying to abolish APMCs. So what what it basically meant that you are now giving the farmer the freedom to sell their product produce anywhere outside the mandis as well. As of now, they are geographically bound to sell it within mandis. I mean, if you have to if you have to fetch MSP prices, you have to go to mandi and sell it at the particular uh, no MSP price. With this recent Farm Act, it was supposed to be abolished. Obviously. Uh, but the problem is that, you know, like we we basically discussed the historical context that it was supposed to be minimum support price and there used to be a certain procurement price. As of now in India, for a lot of grains, MSP has is become the highest procurement prices in the market. If you will look at the procurement prices for wheat within the mandis and outside the mandis, within mandis, a wheat is sold at about 1900 rupees a quintal outside the mandis. I mean, if you go about 20, 30, 40 kilometers outside it, it will be sold at 1,300, 1,400 rupees a month, I mean, uh, a quintal. So basically what you're doing, right, and we studied this in, in, in GCPP, that all kinds of prices are signals, right? When you are, you are telling to the farmer that you produce whatever you have to, uh, I will procure, I will gi- I'm giving you the procurement assurance at this particular price, which is about you know, a 30-40% higher than what is the prevalent market price. What you're basically doing in the process is you're basically distorting the market. 
in any kind of market the demand and supply should dict- should dictate what's the price and the quantity that is to be produced but governments since you uh, know for multi- multiple reasons farmers are a good world bank and you know it makes for you know uh, different different sorts of uh, political economy i mean you know interesting political economy questions and answers so uh, in that entire process you know this entire uh, architecture has been you know distorted at some level and who's paying the price for it it's it's the common people right if you look at the fci's debt right it has crossed about 3 it's more than about 3 lakh crores and 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 Uh, there is a huge supply glut uh, on top of that in the market right if you will uh, just read last year's data on you know uh, what's the surplus food grain i mean in 2014 15 data we had looked uh, looked at in the article also entire country needed only about 24.5 million metric tons of paddy and about 18.52 tons of wheat the surplus rice production in that particular year was about 3.4 times and surplus wheat production was about 4.9 times so by giving that signal that you produce whatever you have to we, we will basically you know uh, assure the, the the that procurement so all the farmers are just producing rice and wheat and fci uh, is just procuring them at you know uh, 1 rupee 2 rupee under national food security act so in that way it has created different sorts of distortions in the, in the entire market structure yeah so rakesh market distortions yeah definitely this is one of the unintended consequences here and one more thing right so if there is surplus production i mean it might not be something which is uh, overtly negative but what we need to look at it is the opportunity cost right so maybe something could have uh, i mean again same same amount of resources could have been used for something else so i think looking at the opportunity cost also makes more sense here right so so we studied about marginal cost of funds right i mean uh, i think you or anupam had uh, taken that right so for, for 1 rupee uh, spent by government the opportunity cost is about 3 or 4 rupees you know, as kilkar and shah calculated so if if they are spending about 3 lakh crores fci is spending about 3 lakh crores on procurement uh, of wheat and paddy so the actual estimated you know cost on national exchequer is about 10 lakh crores india's budget is about 34 lakh crores so which is about 30% of our budget union budget expenditure which is a huge amount the same could have been used for education or healthcare so yes yeah uh, thanks for that rakesh uh, moving on to the next uh, next market failure that you have spoken about talking about say negative externalities that Uh, that this whole uh, regime of MSP is perpetuating. Sarah, could you elaborate on that? Yeah, yeah, of course. So yeah, that's that's one of the key problems that the uh, excess incentive to procure also leads to well excess incentive to produce those particular set of crops. And as it so happens that since there is assured procurement of sorts for these crops, which are extremely water intensive, naturally the areas where they are grown. you see a lot of negative externality in terms of water usage and groundwater depletion uh essentially uh, even previously uh, several agroeconomists have suggested uh, moving the production of wheat and paddy from say the northern belt in like punjab haryana and the western uttar pradesh uh, to kind of areas near uh, which are water intensive in up and bihar and the primary reason for that is because it requires you to have this continuous overlay of water allocation to these resources right and this is one of the next negative externalities that has kind of continuously grown so right now if you look at water tables within punjab and haryana 
they you see that they stand depleted a lot so that's one of the main negative externalities that really comes out of it there are other negative externalities as well but especially when talking in terms of msp uh, procurements which drive up the production and surplus glut in wheat and paddy i think this is one of the biggest negative externalities that really stands out i mean punjab in the next 10 to 15 years faces a real risk of desertification and that completely uh, requires a shift in policy uh, but not in a format of piecemeal policy making but rather than a shock and awe and i think that is particularly uh, very important to look at so so that's what i wanted to say that while the policy is right now definitely wants to delink uh, the markets i think the second set of policies that may need to come in future is to address these negative externalities because initially or for the extra, for a few years it's not like the production is immediately going to shift away from wheat and paddy there is still going to be a lot of production that's still going to happen on wheat and paddy in these areas right and there needs to be a certain amount of effective policy paradigm that needs to be introduced in order to address this second order effect as well yeah so sort of one more thing as i just wanted to add here is uh, so since this is kind of an uh, assured price that farmers are getting so this also leads to some form of an inertia it doesn't induce or does not incentivize them to change course right so if uh, correct there is negative externality it tends to continue and uh, there might be an un- unwillingness to look for other options look for other alternatives as well correct correct yeah and in fact uh, if we really talk about it um, there has been some effort in the past by government of india and even by punjab government itself uh, to introduce pulses kind of as one of the uh, alternatives to be grown pulses and oil seeds uh, because they are also quite lucrative crops in place of say wheat or paddy but because there is an assured procurement policy and in the minds of the farmers from fci uh, the shift to these pulses and oil seeds has also largely not been very successful so there definitely needs to be a policy push in that area um, as well i mean punjab accounts for roughly about 12 to 13% of total rice and wheat production in country but fci procurement in the in the cycle between i think 2018 or 19 it accounted somewhere between 25 to 30% of the total procurement that's really disproportionate yeah. so of course that kind of also needs to change yeah i think at this point we need to take a short break we'll take a break and we'll be back with the other two. Welcome back everybody. We are here to talk about the MSP regime and the kind of market failures it has caused. So we spoke about concentration of power and the negative externalities. We'll move to the last one, the transaction costs along with information asymmetry. Yeah, so uh, let's take it from there. Uh, so yeah, I, I, as we already discussed a lot about MSPs and a uh, different kind of market failures one important another aspect that comes out is the related transaction costs uh, and to set the context correct uh, when i say transaction costs i basically mean uh, costs that are used or needed by buyers and sellers to kind of search move goods or bargain in the market some reference for them to say that i will price my product at this or i would sell it as this or i would buy it as this now what happens with msps is since msp creates an architecture where is an artificially imposed price is put in the market farmers are inclined not to come to the market with the intention of pricing the product themselves by saying that i will i have put in x amount of money in the input costs so and so forth i will add so much of markup for of the logistics of bringing that crop to the market yard or to the to the seller or the prospective seller and i would add another say a profit margin for myself 
uh, on that and then try to sell it and then negotiate with the buyer after that 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 doesn't really happen in the way you expect in normal markets to function because the first and the last price signal that comes very authoritatively is there is the msp and that leads to this problem where without having this incentive to kind of search for better prices mark the better prices uh, see how logistics are costs uh, farmers kind of tend to sell either below prices of the msp itself and traders definitely take kind of an advantage for that because they it creates sort of a middle level uh, within the indian agricultural economy where you have a certain set of uh, people who take who, who make their own profit at on the basis of the arbitrage that arises because of this gap in and this market failure of transaction costs right so just uh, let me give an example of that uh, there was an ima study the paper that we read and researched during this article about the enam platform and the unified market platform and we did and the paper talked about karnataka uh it wanted to see whether enam actually reduces the transaction costs or gains in market efficiency and what not uh they found that it it doesn't really create a large set of uh, change in that for small and marginal farmers uh and the largely that was because most farmers tend to rely on goodwill of these traders and other intermediaries and because these other intermediaries also tend to provide other kind of services of loans or debt uh logistic service of some sort and essentially what happens is whatever markup price or whatever price setting that happens it doesn't really happen at the producer level and because there is no incentive to kind of maximize the uh, out uh, price output or rather profit output for these farmers uh, by reducing the transaction costs it really doesn't work that way and enam even if when they tried to address it when it was launched in 2016 uh, has really hasn't caught up uh, well in the market in trying to address this market failure so i believe there is some scope of policy change over there as well yeah so i would just want to come in and add to what just sarup said right i mean so th- th- there's this entire problem of middlemen you know just uh, you know uh, middlemen in the fpmc yards and these middlemen are called as arthias i mean uh, and so if you have to sell any kind of produce to retailer or private companies you have to go through these arthia route now these arthias what they do if you have to sell the produce they will impose some sort of mandi tax on you and if you look at this mandi tax uh, would vary from state to state and if you look at punjab and one of the reasons why punjab government has been behind the protesters is that punjab levies about a mandi fee about 6% in the case of rice and if you look at the comparative number for delhi it's about only 1% so apmc mandi is going away means a lot of lot of you know loss of revenue to punjab government similarly for pulses and all kinds of goods which are primarily sold through apmc mandis you would have such you know a non efficient uh, taxation you know which again uh, passed on to consumers through you know uh, inflation and all of that so this again sort of creates creates some sort of inefficiency in the way uh, 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 this entire architecture is organized and the futility of this entire architecture was exposed last year during covid when 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 the when we had bumper uh, procurement without uh, involving all of these arthias in the first place so i mean that that's when this whole deba- debate started whether you do you even need such apmc mandis and these arthias who are just middlemen levying you know uh, 
taxes and increasing inflation for consumers in the first place. So th- that's the whole you know, inefficiency part of this uh, transaction cost. Yeah, yeah. I, let me just chime in. Uh, yeah, just one small point I wanted to make. Uh, while the APMC Mondays itself, they are not going away as per the new farm laws. I think the essential intuitive way of looking at this is that APMCs create kind of a lack of interaction, be- natural lack of interaction between supply and demand because they essentially act as choke points because our aggregators of the entire supply artificially. So I think that is what the main uh, issue is that if you had a better supply and demand interaction across the country, you would see essentially prices arriving at their optimum level and the consumer surplus or the producer surplus economic one could easily be maximized for both the buyer and the seller. That's that's really the core issue here that the APMCs uh, and all these market failures kind of interact and build this problem and kind of create the second order effects. So uh, Saurav and Rakesh, I mean, thanks for pointing out some of the important, interesting dimensions, some of the market failures associated with MSPs. So I just want to reflect whether MSPs are fulfilling the purpose, the objective for which they were brought uh, into picture. So I mean, so let's let's go go one step back and we we, we uh, looked at historically for what reasons it was brought in. Right, it was basically to compensate risk-taking farmers. The country was facing food scarcity. Right, you don't have any sort of food scarcity these days. Right, the, the, in fact, you have bumper harvest year on year. FCI doesn't have the go downs to to store uh, the food grains. Or, I mean, which are produced year on year by our farmers. I mean, so you have to fundamentally ask, I mean, is MSP relevant, right? And, and if, if you look at, you know, people have, people have start, gradually started moving away. I mean, they consume, they want to consume more of, uh, you know, pulses. They want to consume more of fruits, vegetables, right? And that's the natural transition that, that any country has when the per capita income start to go up. So if, if the normal demand supply mechanics would have worked, producers in states like Punjab, Haryana, UP would have started gradually moving away from uh, you know, uh, rice and wheat to these uh, you know, cash crops, uh, fruits, vegetables, all of that. Since you have this artificially created MSP in place, if you look at the profit margins that farmers are getting in wheat and rice, there is a CSCP calculation. Profits are about 40 to 50% on these food grains. So on so on one side you have input subsidy in terms of power and uh, fertilizers and all of that. On the you no know, other side you are giving them a short procurement. The procurement price year on every year gets revised and increasing. And all of this is for what, right? Of only a few farmers of few states are benefiting. Punjab, Haryana, maximum MP or Western UP. Uh, you are producing something which country already has. In fact, we have a supply glut of sorts, right? Uh, this is causing huge sort of you know, f- debt uh, on FCI, which I mean, uh, nowadays government has started to you know, uh, put the FCI borrowings outside the fiscal deficit. So if you look at the fiscal deficit numbers for FCI, it's about about 1% of GDP, which is, you know, which is not coming into your balance sheet at all. So I mean, so the, I, I, the entire uh, you know architecture and this MSP in, in today's time, you know, today, today's production levels of this country, you know, I think it it has outlived its utility, if I have to put it like that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's a good nuance of nuance take on the whole thing. But um, we also need to ask then, why are farmers still poor? Like we began with this whole thing about farmers are earning just that much and, you know, 
huge disguised unemployment in the sector and it's kind of the last resort and stuff like that. So um, how does this tie into that thing, uh, into the farmer income, you know? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, so see, uh, I mean, if you look at, you know, the India growth story, right? Till 1980s, we have had uh, what is, I mean, called that, pejoratively called as Hindu rate of growth, 2 to 3% growth. The real growth in India, you know, when about 250 million odd people have been lifted out of poverty, it has only been possible since 90s, right? When we had this LPG reforms, right? What did LPG reforms do? It opened up sectors like industries and manufacturing, right? Even though yeah, so we have not had... Go, ma- uh, Rakesh, before we go into LPG, for our listeners, we are talking about liberalization, privatization, globalization. Um, just making it clear. Go ahead. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I mean, uh, so nineties is when uh, we uh, we started, you know, opening up this entire, you know, and that is when that is when our real growth has started happen. Right, nineteen ninety to two thousand eleven, when we g- grew at on an average about six to seven eight percent growth rate. Right, and that is when the per capita income in the country has grown, prosperity has prosperity has increased, people have been lifted out of poverty. The fundamental question that we have to ask, right, in the in the beginning of the session, you mentioned that 60%, 50 to 60% of this popul- this country is is in farming, right? Why such ben- the benefits of such kind of reforms have not been given uh, to to you know the sector which feeds the entire nation, right? Uh, why do why do you have you know so grave poverty uh, you know within Indian farming right uh, why do you still hear about you know uh, farmers committing suicide in Vidharva right so I mean uh, at some so 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 reforms have to happen in in all kinds of sectors and I I don't see any reason why uh, reforms I mean market led reforms have been eluded till now in agriculture. It's high time, and I think uh, all the three bills, right, uh, which which was introduced last year, though invited spirited protest, there could be some give and take, and you know. But I think these are these are steps in the right directions, unless or until you don't have market-led reforms, good market-led reforms in agriculture, you wouldn't see high growth rates. Even 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 now, right, when we have bumper harvest, agriculture's growth rate is three percent four percent four percent growth rate in agriculture and we we talk about you know we have had a great year right and, but but what does that, that since you have supply glut the farmer's income doesn't increase right whether you do well or bad you know it, it's not impacting their own lives unless or until you don't have privatization in agriculture uh, these kind of market distortion price signals like msps go away uh, i mean Farmers uh, in India wouldn't do well. So, so I mean, it's high so time that, that market. Yeah, yeah. Rakesh, you have correctly pointed out that uh, there are so many market disru- dis- market uh, distortions right now, and uh, there is a need for reforms. And uh, you have, cor- I mean, generally there is this perception that MSPs are the solutions to this, but that might not be the case. MSPs are basically distorting the entire market, and yeah, there are a lot of uh, externalities associated with it. So, solutions to the issues that farmers have right now, the solutions to the issues in the Indian agricultural sector uh, might be in some different form. We might have to consider some of the other alternatives. Uh, for example, things like minimum income guarantee can possibly be less harmful or in fact, it might have different kind of uh, positive impacts as compared to something like a minimum support prices. Sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, just to round this off, uh, I mean, we seem to concur on this thing that the solution to farmer incomes lie outside of agriculture. 
MSP is one of the problems of uh, the entire gamut of problems that afflict Indian agriculture. Yeah, so the solution would probably lie in creating more jobs outside of farming, which in manufacturing or, you know, in other uh, allied sectors, so that, you know, you can move these people, move a huge uh, percentage of people from farming onto these. That would require skilling, education, and all of that. So the road ahead is really, really long. We have to keep this conversation going. Yeah. So I think at this point, we should, uh, I mean, it's great that we have started this conversation and this will reach a lot more people. So everybody can get different perspectives before they come to, you know, conclusion on what the uh, ideal solution would be. So before we um, sign off, uh, does uh, if anybody of you have some closing comments on this, uh, it would be great to hear. Saurabh? Yeah, no, I think uh, overall, I think um, within this discussion, we covered most of the market pillars that we wanted to talk about. Uh, I just like to add that given the nature of this entire issue, uh, the one thing that really needs to be kind of addressed would be the sheer inertia of the status quo that needed to change, right? Which is the stasis at the policymakers level. There's a knowledge gap or the skill gap at farmers level. And then there are challenges due to the nature of the political economy itself. So definitely it's a step in the right direction, I'd say. And uh, yeah, hopefully things will change for the better for the Indian agricultural ecosystem. Yeah, we should not leave out the political economy part of it because that is there is no policy without politics. So we have to you know take that into consideration before we make any kind of uh, you know recommendations. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thank you Rakesh. Thank you Saurabh. And we hope to see you all again soon. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Suman. Thanks, Arthur. Thanks for having us here. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, Check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashila.inst or our website takshashila.org.in.